Happy New Year, and welcome to Season 6 of the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Casey, and we're kicking off the new year with a conversation about something that I know most people, if not everyone, would like to have more of, and that's fun. So how can you have more fun in the year ahead? Well, today we'll be talking with an expert who's written a new book just out, The Fun Habit. Dr. Mike Rucker is an organizational psychologist, behavioral scientist, and charter member of the International Positive Psychology Association. He has been academically published in publications like the International Journey of Workplace Health Management. His ideas about fun and health have been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Fast Company, Psychology Today, Forbes, Vox, Thrive Global, Mindful, MindBodyGreen, and more. He currently serves as a senior leader at Active Wellness and is the author of the new book, The Fun Habit. We'll talk about what he's learned both from the science and his own personal experiences that can help you have more fun in 2023. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. All of my podcast interviews are fun, but I am especially expecting this conversation to be fun (laughs) during the topic. But let's start at the beginning. How did you become interested in exploring the topic of fun and the science of it? Yeah, real quickly, the origin story there is that I've been looking at positive psychology for quite some time. And a lot of the common tools like gratitude journaling and mindfulness have been really helpful in my life. But in 2016, I had a trifecta of sort of unfortunate events. I lost my younger brother quite suddenly. I had been an endurance athlete up until that point. I had a couple Ironman and a couple half Ironman under my belt and found out quite suddenly that I had advanced osteoarthritis. And so I was doing triathlons, but I really identified as a runner. And essentially that identity was stripped from my sense of self. And this wasn't necessarily unfortunate, but my wife had just really had my back during my doctoral work. And she had an amazing opportunity to work for Wrangler, which is here in North Carolina, which I'm located at as we speak. And uh, But we're both born and raised from California. She's from Southern California and I'm from Northern California. And we essentially uprooted because it was an amazing opportunity for her. She's thriving still in that position. But I was still trying to unpack these two pretty big things that had happened in my life. And we essentially ripped ourselves away from our support network of family and friends. And so I was trying to essentially will myself to be happy. And the more I was chasing happiness, paradoxically, the less happy I became. And you know, being a researcher, I wanted to figure out why. And so that's sort of how the book started serendipitously, even though I use that word loosely. A lot of emerging research, I especially like a researcher out of the University of California, Berkeley, by the name of Dr. Iris Mouse, was starting to investigate how here, especially in the West, we were starting to be overly concerned with our own happiness. So not necessarily valuing happiness, not wanting people to be happy and have folks flourish, but folks that from an individualistic level, really being overly concerned of their own happiness drew a pretty straight line to downward mental health. And so I realized that I was doing that to myself, really trying to find happiness in a place that wasn't where happiness wasn't appropriate. So if these tools of positive psych were sort of failing me, then what was available? And I sort of leaned back on my research 
as a doctoral student into looking at how agency and autonomy are so tied to our well-being. And I was like, hey, you know, I still have the power to go out and enjoy myself, even if happiness right now in the moment isn't an appropriate response. And what I realized is once you kind of take that back, you can start to lift yourself out of almost anything. And so that's really how the journey started. Appreciate sharing the story. So chasing happiness isn't necessarily the way way to go. That's exactly right. It's really a exercise and evaluation, right? And so what we now know, happiness has a couple problematic aspects, right? One, it relies us to compare. Uh, unfortunately, that's just sort of part of human nature is that when, at least in the construct of psychological terms, when we talk about subjective well-being, it really requires us to think about how we rank within society, right? Because we're really like boiling it down to a number when we talk about subjective well-being. And generally, just thinking about it when we're in these acts of introspection or rumination, in my case, when I was feeling down, you know, we're thinking about, okay, so X has this and where do I fit in? And so that's where it becomes problematic, where if you have an action bias and you're really just out doing things, one, you're not thinking about how unhappy you are. So you kind of relinquish that need to even think about things. And two, you realize that you have a lot more control than you initially thought about how you engage in activities. And once that starts to create this upward spiral, because once you get playful about that, again, it doesn't necessarily mean that if you're going through some big change, like I mentioned, or going through divorce, or I know for your listeners, kind of thinking about retirement, which is a big change in itself, can feel under overwhelming that you can go into these things realizing that you do have more control than you initially thought, especially if you've let your life get habituated, which so many of us have. And that habituating, it's a downside potentially for people who are thinking about retirement or who are in retirement. Yeah, I think whenever there's change afoot, it does require us to get out of those rhythms. And a lot of times that can take work. So the onset sometimes creates this resistance and we don't do it, right? And so oftentimes it's really just being playful about one or two hours that you can kind of recapture and realize, you know, wait, there is this space where I can kind of experiment and start to play with things that either you were once connected to and somehow got disconnected, or if you have an adventurous mindset, go out and start to play with things that maybe you've always wanted to try, but you haven't. So. What's not to like about fun? <laughs> I'm curious, in your research, what have you found are the benefits of it? Yeah, so I really look at three constructs, especially in the work that I'm really intimately familiar with. And so these are sort of adjacent, right? But what fun really does is it helps us with burnout, right? Because we know when we engage in leisure and we have a true transition from this sense of duty and the sense of work that we start to feel better. We understand that we are able to operate in this world with some of own control, right? And so we're able to own that time. And we're also able to enjoy that time and enjoy the time of others. The other big one right now, especially here in the US, and a lot's been written about it in the last month, is loneliness. You know, fun. Well, first of all, so loneliness is a direct path to all sorts of physiological ill being. We know that if you feel lonely, there's a high likelihood of cardiac events. There's a high likelihood of psychological 
dismay. And so when you're able to use fun as a social glue to connect to others, or if you're an introvert to connect to other things like a sense of connectedness to nature or a sense of connectedness to a hobby that you really love. So it gets you into that flow state. We know all of these things, these activities start to relinquish that sense of loneliness that can contribute to poor physiological and psychological health. And then just in general boredom. So, you know, once we do engage in activities, especially as we're getting later in age, there's this idea of neuroplasticity. And so when we're engaging in fun activities, especially in a creative way, so we're engaging in nonlinear thinking, that's really a great way, whatever that is for you. So I'm not prescribing a specific activity, but if you're allowing yourself to kind of learn new things. So for a lot of folks that could be learning new language with kind of the end goal of experiencing a new culture, whether that's connecting with folks that have different views from you in a playful and fun way so that it doesn't, it's not a cognitive load or you feel like a heavy lift, but really just enjoying the wisdom of others and opening yourself up to new ideas. We know all of this stuff creates cognitive reserve, which can, again, correlates with uh, less cognitive decline and less negative cognitive events. So I think there's a very, very strong case to be made with regards to all the benefits that come with living a fun life. So you've convinced everyone listening, they're all in favor of fun, (laughs) but what tends to get in the way? Yeah. So there's a few things, right? And it's different for everyone. So it's one of those things like obesity, you know, when someone's like, what causes obesity? Well, it might be that we don't walk to work anymore, right? It could be that things are easier. It could be that plate slice has grown 50%. So fun is a similar way, right? For some, it's the Puritan work ethic, right? It's the social norms that were built within their family structure or the way that they view work. And so as we've moved away from algorithmic work into heuristic work, where we don't really know where the goalposts are, it could be that work is just now your life. And so that's what you know, and you've devalued what leisure can do for you, right? And so there needs to be a course correction. A lot of times I like to think about it the same way we villainize sleep in the 90s. And now you never hear anyone kind of champion the fact that the sleep deprived are are entrepreneurial heroes, right? Like just because we know if you don't get good enough sleep, you're not productive, right? And so we're now learning that about leisure. Folks that work their their self to a nub just don't produce. And so work-life balance, I don't think is a good construct anymore, but understanding that you do need these sort of buckets and you need to feel fulfilled and all of them become important. And where this becomes extremely problematic, again, so some of those could be at play, but there's this idea of the U-shaped curve of happiness, and that's been empirically validated. And that is that in generations past, we had children younger and people also didn't live as long. So now it's just the game has changed. And so People are having kids later in life. And luckily, we're all living longer, right? But that also means if you're in the age of 35 to 50, there's a good chance that not only are you living from a sense of duty to make sure that you raise your kids appropriately, you're also now taking care of your parents in some capacity. And that means that we are overprescribed. And so if we're not deliberate about how we spend our time, we're really giving all of our time away. And if we're not deliberate again about leisure, a lot of times we end the day with not enough vitality to do anything. And so it really requires 
re-architecture of how we're spending our time. Joe, I know that's what you do with a lot of folks, right? In your own practice is kind of just look at those rhythms of life that kind of have gone astray and understand that it's not a selfish act to take some time off the table for yourself. If you have that purview of you're really doing stuff from a sense of duty, realize that enjoying a little bit of your week for yourself allows you to show up to be the best version of yourself when you are there for your loved ones. Okay, we're going to take a break. This podcast can only take so much fun at once. We'll be back to talking about fun with Mike Rucker in a minute. But just a reminder of something that's also important, your future. Our Designing Your Retirement Life small group coaching program starts on January 20th. We have another group starting on January 26th. Take a look in the show notes. You'll find the link. Take a look at the program. Hope you'll join the group. It's five group sessions beginning this month and runs through March. It gives you a chance to get clarity on your future direction and create the retirement that you want. Now, back to more fun. Great point. So I'm like, how does the way we think about fun change as we get older? Yeah, so again, I think, you know, we start to devalue it, right? Which is unfortunate. We kind of adjust to these rhythms of life that I I keep suggesting. And then we kind of wake up and realize, wow, I'm not having fun anymore. And this is really has been eye-opening for me because I'm at an age. And also I think because, you know, I've been kind of living this life for at least half a decade that time and time again, just that subtle nudge of people kind of waking up, which is really fun because they are kind of calling out and like, I just don't know how to do this anymore. And it only takes a couple of months to write that wrong. Right. But it does take work. Sometimes it is that your life has gotten so busy. You don't really have friends anymore. Right. And It's hard to say that out loud, but oftentimes you just have lost those connections because for whatever reason, right? And it does require a little work to reestablish those or putting yourself out there to try something new, right? Like whether it's a new hobby, connecting with someone that can kind of help you with that, or one of the best things, which I think is an easy entrance to anyone that really just wants to get started again volunteering with a group that you think also is kind of fun, right? And so that social contribution can be a really good time, connect you with really cool people, and then still be a great way to sort of enjoy yourself. So it's really just, I hope I'm answering your question, but it's really, again, that we've habituated our life. And a lot of times we just lost sight of what does bring us joy. And it requires a little work to go from point A to point B. But again, where you can make yourself miserable is thinking about that space too long, right? Again, that evaluation from point A to point B and thinking that happiness is out there in the horizon can make you start to identify as unhappy because you don't like where you are at. But the reason why I think fun is a great construct is it's really an action-oriented approach where you can kind of have this bias towards getting you where you want to be and enjoying the process of it. So you're not just waiting for something to happen. You're kind of joyfully going through your time through curiosity, experimentation, spontaneity, all the things that make life fun anyways. And then eventually you're going to create this upward spiral instead of living in a downward spiral. And so anyways, (laughs) that was a long-winded answer, but. No, it's great. It sounds like, so you can get fun back. Exactly. You can bring bring it back, but it helps have have, uh, some role models. 
And what can we learn from kids? Yeah, so one of a little bit of original research that I did for the upcoming book, The Fun Habit, was I went to children's museums and I was really there for a different reason, but I got fascinated about how adults kind of lose the ability to play, right? And then I realized that the research I was doing was actually replicated and there are good reasons for that, right? As adults, we really become linear in our thinking, right? We want to understand what is asked of us and then we do the thing, right? And that's really unfortunate because that stifles creativity. And so what we can learn from kids is just watch how they play. They don't need rules, right? There's this concept in science that the map is not the territory. And where we get hung up as adults is we really need a map to explore the territory where the kids don't care. When they go to a playground, they just take it all in, right? Especially young kids, like the awe and wonder they see, right? In a new environment. And we've just lost that lust for life. And so if you can get in a playful mindset, this comes from transactional analysis and really act like a kid again. So let them lead. That reminds you of all of the curiosity and creativity you once had. And oftentimes that's all it takes to really enjoy yourself again, right? And so too often we approach these playful opportunities with kids to want to be a teacher. And so what I suggest is if you can relinquish that need and really let them be the teacher so that you get in this space of, even if it's uncomfortable at first, to sort of re-understand what it's like to be in a space where anything could happen and you don't necessarily need to have pre-existing constructs to enjoy your time. It really is, it becomes magical for most people. Very liberating, very, <laughs> very fun. So what are the different types of fun? <laughs> You're asking that question, I'm, I'm now trying to create a map. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I think that's right. I mean, I have this silly fun calculator on, on my website and. REI has come out with classifying fun as type one, type two, and type three. I really don't like giving fun a definition because I think fun should be owned by you. That's what makes it so special. That's a big argument I make in the book. The calculator I have is grounded in science. I think we have the unique components of fun really come down to arousal, right? So oftentimes I use my wife to highlight this, like for her. And where this becomes important is when we talk about fun in this context and in this podcast, we're really trying to get people to reconnect to it. We've de-emphasized in the West that low arousal activities, if they're fun for you, go out and do them. For my wife, they are trips to the spa. They're enjoying a great book on the side of a pool. For me, it's even at 50, it's still going to a rock concert. So how we define fun really is in that realm of, do you like high arousal activities? Or do you like low arousal and no matter what it is, don't feel guilty about it, right? Find what's fun for you and then go do that thing. And it doesn't have to get you excited. I think forget the Instagram influencer that's clicking their heels on a beach, you know, or whatever it is. Like if for you, it's really just mindfully engaging in something like crafting, then go and do that, right? For some, it is going to be connecting to others. Some people really, you know, I call this the enthusiast really want to connect to something outside themselves. So whatever that looks for them, it's generally fun is found in the state of flow where they're going back and forth from kind of trying to learn something, but that learning not being so agonizing that they get out of the moment to really just being excited that they're really something like tennis, right? And so 
they don't have to think much. They're not bored, right? Because they're so good at, at that particular activity that they're like, but they're also learning still. So they don't get out of the moment. And then some folks are just free spirit, right? Like they really do thrive, you know, variety is the spice of life. So their life is more fun when they're indexing all sorts of different things. They don't want to do one activity. They, they really do enjoy exploring, quote unquote, the territory, bouncing from one thing to the next and just seeing all that life has to offer. So yeah, again, the free spirit enthusiast. And then the socializer is someone that's a true extrovert, right? And like for them, as long as they're connecting with others and getting to talk and getting to share ideas, that's really what's fun for them. But again, most people are a combination of all of these labels. And so you go find your own label and then figure out what that is and optimize against that. Don't, don't let someone like me or REI tell you what fun is. Well, if you are interested in, in getting a look, if you're curious, there's a link to the calculator in the show notes and you can explore it. But to your point, you can make up your own. And I think it's a fun exercise. Everyone that goes through it enjoys it. Again, there's some validity to it. So I'm not embarrassed by it. But again, I think every it's the Venn diagram, right? Like no one's one thing. And so I'm certainly uh, don't want to put anyone in a bucket. That's not how fun does. <laughs> so in addition to your research, you have your own personal experiences. And I'm wondering if you could share with us how you personally ensure that you commit to fun on a regular basis. Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, it's really periodic check-ins. If I feel like I have habituated my activity, then I'll course correct. And so I don't do full-time audits anymore. I generally do prescribe those to people that have completely kind of lost track of where their time goes. It's a helpful intervention, but it's also not the funnest thing. So it's always this paradox of starting our fun work together with doing something that's not necessarily fun. I think if people approach it with some curiosity, then it can be. But now, because I'm mindful of how I spend my time, if one or two weeks goes by and I'm not, and I can't think back to what I did or I can't index joyful memories, then I'll, I'll course correct. Another thing I do is I deliberately, in a premeditated way, make sure that I have at least four really, really fun events a year. And so I do that through this social arrangement I've made with people that follow me that I'll, I'll report back on what I do. So I just got back from Brazil. I went to Formula One. That's another thing I do. And it doesn't necessarily need to cost a lot of money, but I make sure that it's scheduled and so that it happens. And that's another sort of forcing factor to make sure I'm, I'm doing fun things throughout the year. Must have fun on the list. <laughs> so you mentioned concerts before is a fun thing for you. What are some of your favorite, most fun concerts over the years that you've been to? Yeah. So I really like the Black Eyed Keys. Anybody that's high energy. I got to see Michael White in Las Vegas. I just really, really like people that play guitar well. I think maybe I just really liked Led Zeppelin as a kid. Remember that was classic rock and get the lead out. You don't hear that anymore. I think Metallica kind of took their place as the new classic rock, but I had an affinity for Led Zeppelin. So now I like these guys that are really excelling at guitar. So yeah, those were two recent favorites. So last question, if you have time, how can we make fun a habit? Yeah. So, well, it's funny that you just asked me if I have time. I think that's really the, the first step into doing this is really trying to regain control over your time, right? So if you don't 
highly suggest doing a time audit. It's only 168 hours that you need to be mindful of. You can either do that if you're already keeping a daily uh, journal of how you spend your time, that can be a useful tool, or just spend the next 168 hours kind of seeing what you do. On my website, I have something called the play model. You can easily find it by Googling the record play model. You can put it in the show notes as well. And it's just an easy way to kind of bucket your time into four different categories and see what opportunities you already have for fun. But more importantly, what are the things that you're doing that you potentially could create space within your week to integrate more opportunities for joyful experience? And then just be deliberate and premeditated a little bit about that. Because oftentimes what happens is that just a little bit of forethought is all that it takes to kind of get out of this rut. As the weeks pass by, we sort of wonder where time has gone. But if we get ahead of it and actually put these things on our schedule, something magic happens, especially if you are using something like Google Calendar or Outlook already, those become unmutable, right? And so you'll do the thing or you'll realize like, wow, I don't have anything in this week that I find joyful. Like maybe comedy is something that is fun for you. Like then just buy the tickets and make sure that it happens. Like myself, maybe music is go to that concert. Or if you're stuck, who are your fun friends? And reach out to them and go, you know what? I realize that I'm not having as much fun as I want. You seem to have a lot of fun. Is there anything I could kind of invite myself along? Because sometimes when we're in a rut, it's our close circle that can be our best mentors. And so all of those, but I meant simply put, just becoming a little bit more mindful of your time. And if you really just want low-hanging fruit, now Android and iPhone, will tell you how much time you're (laughs) wasting is a loaded word, but how much time you're spending on various apps. And a lot of times folks will see, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I'm spending two hours on Facebook. And then just try and fast from Facebook for one or two weeks. Use that time for something else and see how you feel. And again, if you can do that for two or three weeks, oftentimes creating your own fun habit becomes really easy. But it starts with creating that space, knowing where you're spending your time now, creating space for it, and then making those commitments. Because you raised an important point that often gets kind of lost in the shuffle. And that is, I always try to make sure this isn't meant to be additive. Like in creating that space becomes important because a lot of people that try to pile things on, then it just becomes more work, right? When leisure becomes work, then we're certainly getting in the realm of being counterproductive. So creating that space with things that aren't really contributing to your betterment or to productivity, and trust me, all of us have them, You kind of getting rid of those so that you create the space to be able to enjoy your leisure is an important first step. And the other thing that jumped out to me as you were talking today is the non-linear thinking, really moving away from just thinking in a linear fashion, being yeah, open that- to non-linear. Yeah. I mean, I would suggest doing it in a fun manner because fun tends to (laughs) just be more fun, right? But going back to my background in cognitive science, whatever that is, it can be as simple as driving. If you habituate your commute to church or to the grocery store, whatever it is, for one or two weeks, try a different route each day. Science has suggested that just that difference can make a big deal with regard in regards to creating this quote unquote cognitive reserve. But I suggest why not do something that's fun? Again, connecting with folks with different views that you would still enjoy the conversation or 
engaging in an activity that you want to get better at, right? So as long as we're learning new things and indexing new memories, we know that all of this contributes to cognitive reserve that's really helpful, especially as we get older. Mike, thanks so much for walking us through this and best wishes on the book. Thanks so much. Thanks again. Time for takeaways, ideas you can put into action following this conversation. So the first one is appreciate that fun is good for you. I wish I remembered this last week. I was in Boston, went to a Celtics game, and I could have told my wife, I'm really going just to work on improving my cognitive reserve. But all kidding aside, I think that was one of the biggest things I noticed from this conversation with Mike Rucker. Fun's just not for its own sake. It's also good for your health, particularly your cognitive health. So use it as an excuse. Number two, get clear about what really is fun for you. You'll see a link in the show notes to the fun calculator that Mike Rucker talked about on his website. Gives you a chance to get a sense of what fun type you are, but that's just a start. Really think about the things that you find fun now. They might be the same things you've done for years, but be open to trying something new. Be open to doing something that's fun for someone else that might not be your first choice. You may be surprised. Number three, make a commitment. Another great actionable idea that Mike follows and suggests is really scheduling it. And I think those are some things like the fun events. He talked about concerts. Get the tickets. Arrange the trip. Something that's fun that requires time. Get it on your calendar. Make the arrangements. Thanks for listening to this first episode of season six of the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. Promises to be a great year and wish you all the best in the new year. A healthy, happy, and joyful 2023.